Hello, everybody. This is Lucas Leisure and the Stronghold Podcast. Um, and I'm coming at you at a weird time in my country. Um, you know, I can't help but watch everything happening in America right now and wonder how everything got to this point. You know, I, I hesitate to even release this video because I'm a school teacher and a martial arts coach. And like a lot of you, I'm kind of torn between wanting to give my opinion, put it out on the social media, and also annoyed at everybody who's just kind of like blah, 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 vomiting out their opinion when nobody wants to hear it. But I'm going to try to give you an interesting take on this, so so please bear with me here. Um, the biggest thing I'm seeing, the biggest issue that I'm seeing is that these like Republican and Democrats can't stop talking at each other. Like They're not listening to each other. They're only talking to each other and then waiting for their turn to talk. So in this video, I'm not going to give you my political opinion, but rather I'm going to talk to you about what I think is the central problem here. And that's how Americans communicate with each other about politics and race, not the actual politics themselves. Okay. Now, with that said, my first thoughts as I watch this are like, what is everybody even fighting over? You know what I mean? It's like no one really seems to know what they're fighting about, but everybody knows who's to blame. Okay, who do you, whose fault is it? It's Trump's. It's the Republicans. No, no, it's the Democrats. It's Nancy Pelosi. It's Obama or the Clintons. And the problem is that depending on what political party you fall under or maybe the color of your skin or where you're born, you're going to have a different opinion on the subject of the disagreements and its solutions. Okay, so if you're a liberal, you're fighting over police brutality, or if you're black, you're fighting over police brutality ignited by the death of Ahmaud Arbery or the death of George Floyd at the hands of the, those police officers. His death has brought back the Black Lives Matter movement, and it's back now with full force. And this is seemingly a good thing. But on the other hand, if you disagree or even question that like the Republicans do, then you're going to be called a racist, a fascist, or a bigot by the liberals. And on the other hand, if you're a Republican, you're fighting over the rioting, the looters, the fake news, Antifa, and law and order. You're probably sick and tired of being called a racist all the time and being, uh, being shit on for supporting police officers or the Second Amendment. Or, and you're probably being tired of called a fascist for disliking PC culture or big government or whatever. But here's the problem. Both groups are right in some ways and have valid points that they want to be heard, but the opposition isn't willing to listen. People want to be heard. They need it. They need to feel like their opinions have merit and that it adds to the larger discussion. The problem is, at least as it's portrayed by the media, no one is playing fair. Okay, Both sides aren't following the rules when it comes to how to talk to somebody who disagrees with you. I might be a simple martial arts instructor, school teacher, but I was taught at a young age about logical fallacies, binaries, and talking to people even if they disagree with you. So, you know, you can call these things binaries, you can call them tribes, parties, political parties, teams, whatever word you prefer. If you're giving an opinion on these protests and you can't see the point of anyone on the other side of the argument, you're part of the problem. If you stand more with your political party than the whole of your people, you're part of the problem. It goes both ways, okay? Republicans to Democrat, Democrat, Democrat to Republican. So... Let's talk about a couple of these fallacies that I keep observing, okay? Republicans and conservatives. If you can't listen to hundreds of thousands of Americans and protesters 
uh, abroad in these movements without changing the argument into something else, you're part of the problem. It's called a red herring. Okay? Break it down. What are these people fighting about? The killing of Ahmaud Arbery. The killing of George, George Floyd by police officers. These are the reasons for the protests. Okay? A leads to B. It's one event in a series of events illustrating the inequality of treatment by the police to the black community in America. Okay, we've seen other similar events. Tamir Rice, Eric Gardner, just to name a few. Okay, so that's what we're protesting about. Then you can't co-opt the argument and make it about rioting, looting, and, and how the protests have escalated. Okay, those things are valid. Don't get me wrong. And they need to be dealt with. Yes, but this is a separate debate, right? It's another different thing. The first and primary issue needs to be dealt with first. You need to chop the head off and then the rest of the organism will die. Deal with the central issue, the catalyst, and then the following issues will be easier to manage. You know what it reminds me of is it's like uh, getting into a f fight with your spouse or something like that, or getting into a quarrel. You know, I'm married and uh, when me and my wife quarrel, we have some rules that we have to follow as everybody should. First rule is no name calling. Cough, cough, Democrat, liberals. I'll get to you in a second. Okay, why is that number one? Well, it's number one because calling somebody a name is completely pointless. It serves no purpose. It's not going to fix the quarrel. It's not going to make anything better. All it's going to do is escalate the situation and make it worse. Everybody knows that. Okay, number two, no bringing up old arguments. Okay, that's the red herring thing that I was talking about earlier in the conversation. We've all done both of those. We all know exactly what it is. It's what children do. It's what married couples do. Okay, so let me give you a scenario here, and then you tell me if this sounds familiar. Okay, wife. Um, did you do the dishes, dear? Husband now. <clears throat> uh, there's only a few in there. Uh, you know, we've talked about this. Uh, I don't like dirty dishes in the sink. Starting to escalate a little bit now. Uh, I'll do it after I finish watching Netflix. You always do this. What, what do you mean I always do this? I did them yesterday. Also, you said you were going to cook, and I had to buy us dinner. If you cook, I do the dishes. If I buy the dinner, uh, you do the dishes. <sighs> well, I'm sorry. I just finished doing your stupid laundry and cleaning the floor, so excuse me if I don't want to do the dishes right now. Well, excuse me. I spent all day working so that I could provide for you, and I'm tired. I'm sorry. I just sat around all day. Uh, taking care of your child, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And just like that, you're taking the first steps in a fight that could last for hours. And after all that time goes by, you're going to be arguing about shit that happened five years ago, ten years ago. And you're going to have no idea how you got there in the first place or what even started the fight to begin with. And that's what's happening to the Black Lives Matter people right now. You know, a horrific event happened the death of George Floyd by a police officer, and that caused thousands of people to protest across the world, and conservative talking heads and media have co-opted the argument to make it about other things. Now it's about the looting, now it's about the rioting, now it's about this and it's about that, and all of those things are true also, and those things are also horrible. But you don't just get to get out of the argument by simply changing the narrative. It's not fair, and it doesn't give justice to the original thing that the protests were about. Now, before you conservatives start thinking, oh, here's another fucking libtard rambling on and on and on, the Democrats are no better. You all are violating rule number one constantly. Why can't a conservative support the police, 
the Second Amendment, law and order, or any of this stuff without being called fucking racist or fascist. Okay? We need a new word for this because racist and fascist is not the right word. How many times can you call your conservative countrymen racist or fascist before it's going to start to piss them off? I'm just so sick of calling everybody, like Donald Trump and his supporters racist. You just We need a new word here. Okay? My adopted parents voted for Trump. They aren't racist. I have friends, some of them black, who voted for Trump. They aren't racist. Racist means you don't like black people or you don't like other races as you see that you think that they're inferior. Do you think that's really what's going on here? Do you think Donald Trump thinks that different races are inferior and deserve to be treated differently according to the law? These topics require nuance. This is the binaries, the party shit I was talking about. Okay, so... Do you think Trump's putting a lot of effort into fixing inner cities or areas of America that are historically inhabited by minorities? Uh, probably not. Is he creating policies, bills, or infrastructure to try to get African-American, Latino-American, or Asian-Americans a voice that's more proportional to their representation in the country? Probably not. Does he even think about some of this shit? I doubt it. Does that make him a racist? No. Modern racism doesn't look like Hitler or Robert E. Lee, uh, who think uh, other races are inferior and deserve less rights. Modern racism looks like Amy Cooper. You, you know, the woman that called the police on the African-American bird watcher and said that he was threatening to hurt her. So think about this, right? This is a white woman that lives in New York City. She's probably a Democrat. She probably has black friends, but deep down in a subtle but deeply troubling way, she knew the veiled threat of a white girl calling the police on a black man in New York City and what that could mean for him. Okay, This is modern racism. She knew exactly what she was doing, and everybody watching the video knew what she was doing too, which is why it went viral. Okay, Now, for the most part, that's what modern racism looks like. It's, it's more subtle. Okay, It requires nuance to deal with. It's not just like s simple. She probably has black friends. She probably has black colleagues. You know, it just it makes me think of that, that Dave Chappelle meme. You know, it's, uh, what is it? Modern problems require modern solutions. And just simply calling racist, calling people racist doesn't solve any of that stuff. Now, modern race baiting does not happen exclusively on the right. Okay, I, I hate how this is only a, a liberal talking point. And, you know, Joe Biden made this abundantly clear when he was talking to Charlemagne. And he goes, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. What the fuck is that? What, what, what is that? As if there aren't black Americans who support Trump. Also, if you, in, you think you inherently deserve the entire black vote because you were president under Obama? I mean, this shit does nothing to quell racial tensions that are plaguing America right now. The problem isn't Republicans conservatives, Democrats, liberals, it's the way they communicate. And it's made exponentially worse by the partisan media that's splitting the country. Bipartisanship should be celebrated as one of the most important philosophies of any democracy, not shut down by the people in power or the media. So, my point is, Americans need to learn to talk with each other. They need to learn to listen when spoken to, and not simply wait for their turn to speak. That's what Americans are consistently doing. It's weird, right? You know, people began protesting about police brutality, and the narrative is, oh, it's just a few bad apples, right? Just a few bad apples. The, the police that, that killed uh, Eric Gardner, the police that killed 
um, George Floyd, they're just bad apples. They're not representative of the whole thing. However, when the protests get out of hand and some of those protesters turn violent, they're called thugs, hooligans, and whatever you want. Where's the bad apple argument then? Where's the bad apples then? So there's bad apples on the police side, but there's not bad apples on the protester side. Okay? Does, does that make sense? Especially considering when most of the protests have been peaceful. You don't see the hypocrisy. Two sides saying the same thing to each other, yet both parties are lost. It's like extremely tragic for me to watch this, especially when I know that if 99% of the protests were peaceful and only 1% got out of hand and became dangerous or rioting or looting or whatever, that one event would be the only thing plastered on the media. Completely unrepresentative of the whole. And this is a huge part of the problem. So I'll finish up my attempt to discuss politics through a non-political lens by quoting two former presidents of the U.S. from two different political parties who led the country during the darkest days of racism and the darkest days of America being split. And, uh, you know, and from two political parties. So uh, first one I'll quote is JFK. And JFK said, this quote's been going around a lot lately. He said, those who make peaceful revolution impossible will make violent revolution inevitable. And, you know, this is really, really a, a true statement. I think the most important thing for Americans to avoid moving for, uh, forward is violence at all costs. You know, follow the example of Martin Luther King and Gandhi. If 100% of protests are peaceful, then the naysayers won't have any ammunition to attack you with. Okay? As is, is, is much peace as... I mean, the reason that the 1960s Martin Luther King things were so changing is because those police officers were beating tons and tons of unarmed uh, black protesters who weren't even fighting back. So when you can see the violence only coming one direction, it's an extremely powerful image. And then I'll, I'll finish off with my favorite quote. And uh, this one's by Abraham Lincoln, who Trump loves to invoke the image of. Uh, you know, Lincoln was undoubtedly a great president, a Republican the man who freed the slaves, saved and united a broken country. And he has one of my favorite quotes of all times. So I'll try not to butcher it here. He said, we are not enemies, but friends. We must not be enemies. Though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. The mystic chords of memory will swell when again touched, as surely they will be by the better angels of our nature. And he also said, and perhaps more importantly, a house divided against itself cannot stand so thank you for everybody uh thank you everybody for listening i hope you enjoyed my rambling um i i'm always hesitant about doing sort of political stuff i'm trying not to politicize this but just kind of talk about the nature of the discourse and the role that i think that it along with the media has in sort of stoking these issues because most americans when you're actually on the ground are not like that like you don't feel this when you're there but you see it everywhere so there's like this schism between what's actually happening on a day-to-day -day basis and then how it's perceived by the the rest of the world on the news um, so my final message is stay safe support peaceful protests support the police support law and order and support persecuted minorities you know we have the ability to do all these things and serve all those interests simultaneously if we actually listen to each other thank you